Uh, a big kia ora to everybody out there. I'm with my uh, very brainy uh, mate. Oh, actually, <laughs> member of the whānau now, actually, <laughs> Catherine Burkett. And I've got questions. I'm pure today, and I just love this stuff. We're having a good time just talking about all sorts of things. Mm, isn't that a cool thing to do? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And this is a, um, a podcast, you know, because our old people, they had a thing called the marae. <laughs> where it was a safe space to talk. So maybe this is our morale of the airwaves. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Hey, um, we were chatting before when we were having coffee and we were talking about all the things that affect us as a nation and one of them is abuse. What's your whakaro around this? Um, and, and is doing nothing without tamariki a form of abuse? Mm. Doing nothing. So, so if we, you know, my, my brain stuff, doing nothing... We'll talk about not touching, not singing, not, you know, those sorts of things. So um, we often will look back and I have cases where people say, oh, there was no one beating the kids, there was no one yelling at the kids. Um, And so we assume that that might be okay. But what we have in our brain when we're born with those brain cells that we have, we have some that are called experience expectant. So we have cells in our brain that expect certain things and those um, are cells that expect touch, right? Expect attention, yeah. expect validation, yeah. expect belonging. Sounds, music, yes, wayata. yes. Yeah. And if those cells don't get that stimulation, they go into a stress response. So, there's a really horrible statistic to know, but in some of those really dep- um, orphanages and stuff where there wasn't a lot of people to help look after the babies. If babies aren't touched, they might be fed, they might be got water, they might be warm, but if they're not touched for two weeks, there's a significantly increased likelihood that baby will die. Wow. When we get touched, we activate nerve growth factor, which is what the cells need to stay alive. Yeah. It doesn't activate it. And really that's sort of nature saying there's no one around. Right. Do you see what I mean? You're on your own. You're on your own, so you're probably yeah. better off. You're not going to survive. Yeah. So touch. Wow is really massive. And it's something that I find really difficult in our school system because more and more we are saying you're not allowed to touch. And I get that it's got to be, you know, correct touch and, you know, respectful touch. But we need touch. And we all know that, you know, like, and we know that. And and I was actually just with a youth organisation yesterday and we were talking about the fact that our, and not only, but a lot of our young males, where do they get touch? And that's why we all play rugby, right? Yeah. (laughs) We can get in there and touch. But... I love it that my son still will come up to me and we'll hug on the couch and I'm always hugging him. And he hugged his sister the other day and she was just like, her face was like, what? And he just hugs. He's a real, and he knows that in our whānau, he's allowed to still hug and touch yeah. even though he's six foot, you know, do all of the me. He's still my boy. And it's a love language. <sighs> Massive, yeah. It's a love language, eh? Um, touch, I remember my dear old dad, we'd be driving down the motorway and this was like in the 60s. Driving down the motorway in our Holden, <laughs> both got our el- elbows out the window, and uh, he was a smoker like a lot of men of that time, and he'd look at me and I was this little fat fellow with a kinder haircut. Nothing's changed really, Catherine, and uh, <laughs> and he'd put his hand over and just rub his hand down my face, listen to my lips go, bloop. 
And I'll tell you what, I felt so good mm-hmm. that I was recognised by my dad, you know, or he'd pinch me. Not hard. He'd walk past and I'd be watching TV. We had TV those days. And he'd just give me a little pinch and a little wink and just felt so important, eh? Yeah. See how massive that is? Yeah. And now that's you as an older but I can tell you, you've got that sort of, you've built up that knowledge of yourself. Yeah. Can we translate that into a baby? Right. So, you know, like, because this is when we are building up our knowledge in the first few years of what is this world going to give me? Who is this world? And if we don't get that response, and by the way, this is often from parents who themselves haven't got that response. So right. there is no judgment in this space or parents who are working a number of jobs or who are in their own um, head with things that are going on. So there is, there is no judgment in that space. But if we look at what the baby received, did the baby receive the amount of touch, you know, attention, stimulation, like I said, music and all that sort of stuff, did they get enough for them to satisfy themselves that this world is a good place? Right. Do you see what I mean? Yes, I do. And so when we talk about the view of the child, what did that baby get? And what we know is there's a number of babies that don't get that. And it forms a really interesting idea of the world in baby's brain. Right, right, right. So when you're talking about this stuff at an early age, we're sort of loading baby up on the runway of life to a degree, eh, to mm. start moving forward. And if we don't load them, load, load them up, um, they don't have that natural progression. So the question we were asking, is it neglect? Um, is it abuse or is it a form of neglect or is it... Yeah, language is strange and we see, yeah. we all get confused. So for me, I would just say um, abuse is all things that make people feel bad. So I would say it's a form of abuse. Yeah. Um, you know, as an activation against them, which, you know, like, um, no, it's not because they're not getting something activated to them. But the absence of that is yeah. neglect. And when we talk about neglect, we've got to be careful in, in this space. We're talking about an absence of stuff, not the kids get yelled at but not fed. Yeah. That's not neglect in this space. Um, it's the absence of being responded to or a really irregular. Like sometimes, especially if we've got parents who may be um, drug-induced and so one stage they're really high and they're really happy and they're really involved with the kids and the next minute they get out of my face, I don't want to talk to you. Yep. And so the kids get, even babies, toddlers get really mixed messages. Is this okay? Is this not okay? And so what the brain starts to do is the brain starts to say, you know what? It's a much safer place to retreat inside my own brain. Right. And this is where we start using the word dissociation in, right. in a shutdown, sort of a playing dead mentality in the brain, a protection. Yeah. So we go into our own head and some of our young people who are in these spaces become very good at going inside their own head rather yeah. than living the life outside of their body, they live the life inside their body, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, like, um, because our environment's changed so much, um, is 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 this becoming more of a thing that people aren't, you know, our kids aren't getting this sort of touch, that basic... So Because when you look in a traditional uh, sense, <clears throat> you know, like... It wouldn't matter if some of our three-year-olds in my whanau didn't learn how to walk until they were five because everybody was carrying them and passing (laughs) them from auntie to uncle or whatever. But they got that touch. They got that laughter. They got that, um, you know, the kisses and the the, the grabbing of the cheeks and right through all our different cultures. Mm -hmm. But our world today um, threatens that sort of 
the survival of that sort of behaviour, eh? Or 100%. does it? Oh, it, it? Because we've got this impression um, through lots of different um, media and movies and stuff like that, that theoretically, even if you've got a two-person um, whanau, you know, yeah. parents, yeah. that they are their job is to look after the babies in a house separated from everybody else. And so say I have a baby and I'm, for whatever reason, depressed and, 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 and really um, finding it difficult and really overwhelmed – then can you see that my baby is unlikely to get what they need? Yep, gotcha. But if I was on the marae with you and yep. everybody else, it wouldn't matter so much that I'm depressed. Do you see what I mean? It yes. wouldn't matter that I've got my postnatal depression or that I'm taking my drugs or that I'm working too much because that would be kept up, like you said, from all the other people picking up my baby, yeah. playing with my baby, and also being around me, by the way, which yeah. is going to make it significantly less Difficult for me. Yeah. But someone else will cook a dinner and I'll join in on that food. Do you see yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. so it helps everybody in that circle. Absolutely. And but it's most the of all the baby. You know, like, and that baby will get what they need. You you don't only grow connections from a biological parent. That's Kilda. not, you know, right? Kilda. You get it from anybody who adores you, attunes to you, loves you, you know? So Hence the old Māori saying, it takes a village to raise. That's not actually a Māori saying. But but it's it's totally it's, applicable. But it, it's, it might not be a saying. It's just a not. You didn't have to say it because it was just it was yeah. just there. But can you see that? Yes, in our modern world, it's significantly more likely that if I, as a parent, have stuff going on for me, that that will directly influence my baby, my toddler. Yeah. Whereas if I was living in a collective space in the village, my stuff isn't is likely to be transferred to my baby because I've got other influences around baby. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So this is why we are seeing more um, transmission of um, parent stuff onto babies, whereas before we wouldn't have seen so much. So we are getting a bit more um, of our kids coming into our systems and stuff like that who may not have got what they needed um, at the beginning of life. And and I'm not judging anyone, I'm not. But yeah. what I'm I talked to a mum the other day and you know I did a session and she said, Oh my goodness, I think I was like that. I think I was very depressed when I raised my baby. And I can see now that my baby's grown up and she is is, you know, showing these signs. But what we talked about is mum said when because her daughter's pregnant, when her daughter has a baby, guess what mum's going to do is make sure yeah. that we get more people around, that we get because she's aware of what happens. So instead of saying, oh, bad me, I've done this. No, no, actually, this yeah. is what our environment's done. But what it means by talking about this is we can say, now I get how I can make it different for the next generation. I'm not going to leave my daughter on her own with her baby because it's likely that she will transmit that same stuff through. So I'm going to make sure I or other people are around. Does that, well, do totally, that? totally. <clears throat> does this science that you're talking about, the science of behaviour, does that go some way to explaining intergenerational trauma? 100%. You can yeah. see that, can't you? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes we think it's in the genes. We think it's in our genetics and it's unchangeable. But a lot, and some is, some is in the genes, but the majority of it, is in our experience. So within one generation, we couldn't completely change that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like mum might have been quite depressed when she was pregnant and stuff like that, and there's a certain things that sort of get transferred a little bit there. But if mum has that baby and, you know, this is the daughter and she has her baby, 
and we all gather around and we hang out with her and look after baby, can you see baby will grow up very different than if we left mum on her own? Right. So it's the experience. So intergenerational trauma is not a is, is is sometimes genetic, but it's more likely to be environmental. Yes, yes, yes. So if we change the environment, yes. we can change intergenerationally how our babies grow up. I love it. Hundred percent. I love it. Amazing. And eh? you can play catch up. I'm sure you can play catch up. You know, if you got it wrong for the first six months or the first twelve months, and you were able to change and be aware and given the tools and skills to do this, I'm sure that baby can be nurtured you know, back onto a correct road, or am I right? You're 100% right. We just know that that first road is always going to be there, right? Yeah. So let's just be yeah. realistic. But you look um, at the beautiful Vic Tamati, so um, Vic Tamati, Vic, the, um, it's not okay? Yeah, yep. Yep, so. Let's just call him Vic. Vic, Vic, sorry, Vic, <laughs> if I got your name wrong. Yeah. Um, I haven't uh, referenced you for a long time, but he um, was an adult when he realised, he had it's not okay tattooed on his hand because he believed that the right way to parent, to interact, was to be abusive. You know, yeah. like that was just... And he was. Right? He knows this. Um, and, but what he did as an adult is he reprogrammed, and that took a lot of work yes. and a massive journey, right? Yes. So we can always, always change, but that environment has to change, and we have to take time and support. So, yes, we can always change. It's six months way easier than um, for him as an adult. Yeah. But we can always change, and that's respecting how influential the environment is yeah. on the development of the brain. Yeah. So being in a position with some people in this country in these very tough times where it's really hard to change your environment um, is really tough. And, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's those things that we don't see with our tamariki and they go off to school and all that stuff. There's, you know, what's – I go back to our last corridor we had. What's their story? What's behind this, eh? Mm. You know, we have to keep looking for reasons why people are struggling or behaving in a certain way. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the answers to this stuff are – you know, I was listening to um, – I was listening to – I forget the name of the guy, but he was saying, you know, a lot of ideas – there's no new ideas – They've all been done, bro. There's no new ideas. And he goes back to, um, you know, if we go back to um, Celtic, Irish, the lullabies, the poetry, the time we spent around the hearth, keeping the home fires burning. These Mm -hmm. are European ways of life, storytellers and stuff, all contribute to helping our tamariki develop. Absolutely. And you change that way of life and it changes that whole trajectory, eh? Yes. And by having multiple people, if you've got all those people around the hearth and everyone's doing that, yeah. say when you become a, you know, you grow, you're you a toddler, you're getting to the, you know, sort of the three-ish age, and, and your your brain is just focused on the world. Like, what are, what are the options? And if I have my kid at home, um, like what I noticed with my daughter when she went to race the um, cross-country when she was five at school she didn't try hard at the cross country the first time around. I'm like, what's going on here? And then I realised because I was her main influence, we'd played board games and we'd learnt to win at board games and we learnt to win at charades and stuff like that. But I wasn't a physical person, right? Yeah. So we didn't get out and run around and race. So she didn't realise that running, you would beat other. That's how you beat other people. Do you see? You go faster. Yeah. And that was because I am not a physical person. Whereas if I'd been in a space, in a village, she would have seen other kids doing right. it and other people right, right, doing right, it. Right, and right. 
then then they would have gone, oh, I want to go fishing. Oh, that person's going fishing. I'm going to go and fish with them. Man, I'm going to become a really good fisherman, fisher person when I grow up, right? Yeah, yeah. Or someone's weaving or someone's um, acting or they're talking and they go stand up on the, you know, and, and talk to them. We, we're not exposed to all of these people with all of these skills at an early age and find our passion. Yeah. We sort of put kids into reading and writing and that's, I know we do, some schools are amazing with what they expose our kids to. But can you see how that would happen with all these people around our kids? They would be able to, you'd watch them and you'd say, oh man, you're gravitating towards that and that and that. Whereas we now wait till they're 15 years old and say, what do you want to be? <laughs> yeah, what a stupid question. <laughs> and instead of saying, what have we noticed about you as you grow up? What have you gravitated towards? But we haven't got people around our kids to give them those options so much. Here's a question. I believe they're strong. I've got questions. I'm pure and I've got questions. (laughs) What would our society be like if a lot of parents in this country, even me in in the young days as a parent, were actually given the skills or given the knowledge to say, bro, it's actually your job to turn those positive switches on in your young fella or in your young daughter? You know, I just have this thing in the back of my mind and I have to be careful here. What would society look like if we upskilled parental knowledge in this country? And they understood by not engaging in that way, this is going to be the result. It'd be a huge difference. A lot of people don't know this because they don't learn it because we're not in situations where this knowledge is passed down. No, it's not. I mean, what job, what skill do you ever do without learning? I mean, we have to get licenses. We have to, um, yeah. you know, train for this, train for everything. Do train an apprenticeship. To, do whatever. an apprenticeship. But yet you can have a baby <laughs> and raise that child with with no, and I'm saying qualifications, not saying pieces of paper, but just no learning. Yeah. Because historically right. we didn't need to do that because historically we sat with people who had done it and who had learnt it from the people before them. That's an, how we did it. An example was set. Right. Okay, there's no example. Now, or I'm a in negative my house, example. Yeah, yeah. or I'm in my house by myself raising my baby, going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and baby's crying a lot. And if I was on the marae, someone would go, yeah, they cried all the time with me too. Or maybe, hey, I tried this with my baby and I did this. And you know what? I That feels like something that I went through. Yeah. Somebody else over there knows, so let's go and see them. And and that's why we didn't need to do parenting courses. Yeah. Unfortunately, now we sort of do, but I'd prefer not to do parenting yep. courses. I'd prefer, like, if I could wave a magic wand, I would say two months at least, but six months would be my ideal of when baby's born. The parents spend that two months or six months ideally every day, not necessarily at night, if they want to go home to their own space, they can. But every day being in a space where lots of new yep. parents are there and we just all get together every day and there's Kai all correct. You know, can it might be on the marae, it might be in a space, whatever. But we get together and actually the research is now starting to say those two months, if we can activate those two months, first two months of baby's life, yeah. then that makes a significant difference to the rest of their um, life. So that would be my magic wand, 100%. And then that would be the parenting courses, right? You wouldn't need the parenting courses because we'd have that collective knowledge sitting there, supporting, validating, and saying, you know what? This is normal. Yeah, it's fine. How much of us... You know, funny you should use the word space. (laughs) 
uh, many people will know that I've been involved in parenting courses that mm-hmm. you're trying to get rid of, and so am I. <laughs> I'd love to be redundant. You know, so we've got Building Awesome Fano, we've got Toolbox and all those things at the parenting place. I've also got this thing, which I don't know anything about, right, because it's not my lane, called space. Mm, I and do I've, a lot of work in, in the space organisation. Do you? Yes. Well, I've been talking to a lot of my mates who have just had, and she's, oh, bro, you should uh, ask your beautiful wahine maybe to do some reading on this thing we got called space. Already going there, bro. Already going there. It's awesome. She loves it. Mm. So creating those environments where traditionally they were just created out of a community or whatever has got to be a good thing. And those kids are getting those things, eh? Absolutely. I go along sometimes because um, the lady who actually started Space, Leanne Ferry, um, good friend, she's amazing. Um, she had that absolute vision. And so for years I've been going along and talking to parents for an hour while their babies are screaming. So it's a fantastic, you know, <laughs> a, a, a experiment in me trying to keep talking when I've got no no one looking at me. Or, yeah. But it's cool. It's beautiful. And, and just a little bit of information helps um, those parents understand it. and But then most of that time is about getting together and connecting and seeing and sharing. And it is, it's a beautiful space. And and that is the sort of stuff we need to be doing. We don't, we're not meant to be alone. It's not natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not natural. Yeah. So what you're talking about, if these <coughs> tamariki um, are, are neglected in this area, um, you're talking about a child that's poorly equipped to reach their full potential, eh? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And like you said, we can always change them the environment later. But what we often find is is if you can imagine this little baby not getting what they need, not getting that a response, then, like I said, what they do is they start to understand that the world isn't going to give them what they need. So they start asking they stop, sorry, they stop asking for anything. I so, understand. So we get this dissociative shutdown space, but what we often get is a young person who might be very compliant, um, might want to do everything. So can I help you? Can I do that? Can I do that? And and some people do that because they actually truly want to help. But you can see with some of our tamariki, it's, it's this desire just to please and to, to keep everything status quo. And we talk about manipulation sometimes as a negative thing. But if you can make someone happy, you talk nicely to them and be really kind to them, they are not going to get angry with you and they're going to notice you. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of our kids who are neglected can do behaviours that are not punching and kicking yeah, and yeah, swearing yeah. and stuff like that. Um, very compliant, very um, manipulative in some ways and, and avoidant. Yeah. Um, Disconnecting. Yeah, people pleasing, all those sorts of things, or shutting down and not, not talking to anyone. And we go, oh, that's there's something wrong with that kid. They're choosing to do that. But actually that's a form of abuse and their brain is working differently and their brain yeah. has a different expectation of this world. So, yeah, it's quite often I'll be doing cases like that. And that's sometimes harder to get the buy-in because these kids are not problems. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the punches and the kickers are. Yeah. But their their brain hasn't had the same um, experience. Expectant things have not <clears> been given to them. So they just assume that this world is not going to give them what they want. So, yeah, that's a sort of the way that the brain works through neglect. I heard a statistic that freaked me out the other week. And um, I can't remember the numbers, but I think it's between 75 and 80% of our men in prison suffer 
from a learning difficulty, okay? So what you're talking about is potentially a learning difficulty or a step towards not being able to learn properly. 80%, and even if I'm wrong, if it's 75%, whatever, it's huge. And that's why a lot of those guys who can't reach their potential or whatever, um, you know, it starts at those early, early, early years, eh? And, and learning is done in the green brain. So it's in that upper part of the brain. It's in the cortex. It's in the executive functioning part, whatever we want to call it. But it's done in the upper part of the brain. And you've told that story about the um, gentleman at the prison yeah. who came up to you and said, I've never been in my green brain. Yeah, been in red brain all my life, bro. You know, so how can they go into school and activate their green brain and learn. So they may not have learning difficulties. They may have been completely and utterly able to learn, right? They yeah. may have had all the cells in their brain that they was able to do all of that learning, but they didn't have the safety in order to allow them to get to the green brain and do the learning. Do you see what I mean? So, Because we see a lot of people in prison who now start to read and they start to get involved and all of a sudden they're studying and they're, they go, oh, I can do that. I can yeah. do the maths. I can do the reading. So they do have the capacity. They don't have a cellular problem. Yeah. They have just had an environmental problem. When, and that's on us. That's on our system. When I had that conversation with that gentleman, as you say, who I thought would be a great events coordinator because he could get the gang together in about 10 minutes, and um, I saw his eyes and they were dead. But when I started talking to him, when I was able to name a red brain, he goes, oh, so, bro, if I just get out of that red brain thing, you know, and, and I can say this because we're at it. So if I get out of that red brain bullshit, uh, all this other stuff happens, bro. And I wow. said, yeah. And he could actually go, oh, I might be able to do that. But nobody told him that. He wasn't around that information. He was a bad person as yeah. far as he was concerned. Yeah. He was a bad person. There was something in his DNA. Yeah. You know, and that's what he would have believed, especially with all, like, we've been talking about all that messaging and stuff like that from media and from the environment. Yeah. You gave him a different different option. And when you say his eyes were dead, did yeah. they, they, did they yeah. come alive again afterwards? Oh, and the whole conversation, he got hungry for knowledge. Mm. And he's saying, and he says, oh, bro, the grog, eh? I hit the grog. And I says, oh, yeah, what about when you eat? You know, because I know a lot of the, you know, if, when you eat, you stop drinking, you know? Yep. And he says, nah, bro, once I have a feed, it's all over. And I says, well, don't. Make sure you've got a feed ready. And at the end of the day, after you've taken your young full of fishing down the rocks, have a beer, bro, then have a feed. So we were starting to work out his space, what he could do to avoid getting into situations that weren't positive, you know. But he was starting to go into green, and he trusted me, mm. and he trusted the conversation. Mm. And then the final thing I says, bro, you're a smart cookie, cuss. You're a smart man. And he didn't say anything to that. Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't, that, that was a probably a new message to him. Yeah, yeah. You have to lay that down a lot of times yeah, for him yeah, to believe yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but somebody can those, need this stuff so early, don't they? You see those dead eyes? This is yeah. this this is this dissociation sort uh, of a space. Yeah. So there's a high likelihood that he has, especially when our people are in prison, there's a lot of times when they need to just dissociate and get away from the place. And so that dissociation, he goes into there, and then what you did is you made him feel safe. Yeah. He could come out of that dissociation because that dissociation is a protective space. It's like, uh, yes. um, so in a real generalized sense, when we dissociate, our heart rate slows down. We can actually faint at that space. So our heart rate slows down, our body starts to slow down, all the blood leaves our extremities and comes into our core. But we have this activation in the brain that's very similar to morphine. 
So that's why the eyes go very glazed. Oh, really? So we activate encephalins and opioids in our brain, which is essentially a mixture that creates the same effect as morphine. So people talk about floating outside of their body, um, seeing things like being on a movie or it was in slow motion because we don't have time when we're in our um, red brain and stuff. So people talk about that sort of thing. That's dissociation, you know? And um, so if you think about if you're really stressed or really angry or whatever, activating morphine into your brain naturally is a pretty adaptable sort of a place to go, isn't it? So he was really good at that. He was a little bit higher. She would have looked a little bit, you know, like, and then you made him feel safe and he got into his green brain and he started talking. Isn't that amazing? And then he can see stuff and that's how we need to make change. Should we have this sort of information and this sort of education or these sorts of discussions happening at primary school? We should not. My kids have known about red brain, green brain since the time they could talk. Do you know what I mean? I heard about this like four years ago <laughs> when I met you. Yeah. we should. How cool is it to know that? And I think I might have used this example before, but I talk about sandpaper brain is when yes. we start to activate yes. our red brain a little bit. Little bits of sandpaper. Anyway, I got a call from when Mason, uh, my son, was an intermediate, and they said, oh, um, someone's punched Mason, you know, someone's right. punched Mason. Okay, cool. I'll just have a chat to him when he get. you know, he didn't. I was like, yep, good. Mason came home and I said, well, what happened, hun? And he said, nah, mum, I went to school sandpapered. Uh. So he knew that he was already in a state where he was more activated, less logical and rational, right? Edgy. Edgy, absolutely. And he says, and this kid came up to me and said something. He goes, and I shouldn't have said what I said. Because Mason's quite good with his words. Yes. <laughs> so he had said something really <laughs> I know this boy. <laughs> right? He's <Effective>. ours. <laughs> <laughs> and so then when he said that, the other kid punched Mason. Right. But what Mason could do now that he was in his green brain and he could understand that he was a bit sandpapered when he wow. did it and he wow. took some of that responsibility. Not guilt, but responsibility. Yeah. And so I rang the school and said, I don't want anything you know, they had a bit of a talk. Yeah. He says, I'm going to talk to him. I said, sorry, I said what I said. And he said, sorry, he punched me. We're all good now. But because Mason could understand that what he said came from an activated, you know, yeah. brain, he doesn't blame himself, but he knew that but it was he his responsibility. It. And so he understood that that kid hit him through being in the red brain because Mason had activated his red brain. Do you know, like, yeah, how, yeah. how cool is it to understand this stuff so our kids can have this language and this you know, we've got oh. things like Mana Potential, which is very good for teaching our kids this stuff. It's a really good program um, and very, obviously, Mana Potential, so it's New Zealand-based and it's developed by the most um, amazing woman. And that helps our kids understand their bodies and understand what they can do and, and they identify safe people and safe places and it's a really Great. cool system around that. Um, we do have zones of regulation, which has come from overseas. It's still a, a good um, option for us to kids to understand themselves. You know, we used to have pause, breathe, smile. We used to do volcanoes in our bodies. And anything that gets our kids talking about their bodies and recognising that stress is normal, that activation changes how we think and behave, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's yeah. let our kids know this. How powerful is that? But, like, if a kid doesn't get this and a, and, and a kid is going to do stuff wrong – that affects them going down that educational track. For me, it's a no-brainer. We've got to do mm. this. But one, one thing I want you, and, and, and our time's um, moving on, but there will be some of our audience um, who don't understand the whole sandpaper theory. Mm-hmm. So can you just go through that before we... Yeah, so it's a lot that I use when we're talking about um, self-care and mental health and all those sorts of things because every time there's a stressor, so 
we've talked about this understanding of we're continuously scanning, subconsciously scanning the environment. It's called neuroception. Um, yep. Yeah, but we scan for safety. We scan here and now, in the future, in the past. And all of that tells me, am I safe here and now? So if something happens to um, activate our brain, we think we're going to die. So losing your keys, can't find your password on your computer, driving and there's too many red lights, you know, all yep. of those things, they're quite little. Yep. But each one of them, I see them as a sandpaper. So if you touched my hand right now, it wouldn't hurt because my skin is in a good condition. Yep. But if you sandpapered my hand and then touched it, that same pressure of touch would hurt a little bit because a stressor has been applied to my hand. And then another stressor and another stressor and another stressor. And all of a sudden you touch my hand with exactly the same force and I cry. Yeah. Not because of the force of your touch, but because of the state of my hand. So if I get home at the end of the day and I say to someone, hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> and their green brain's fully activated and they've got no sensitivity in their red brain, they'll go, oh, actually, Catherine, I'm pretty sure you can sort yourself out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or if I got home and I said, what's for dinner? And they've had a bad day, things have been going on, this hasn't happened. And I say, what's for dinner? That exact same question could get a response of, how dare you? Why could you always have to expect me to cook dinner? And why yeah, can't, yeah, do you yeah, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we can <coughs> respect that each of these little things that happen in our day, in our week, in our month, in our life, accumulate. And so each time we feel that we might have a sandpaper, we have to do something kind to ourselves and bring ourselves back to calm. Just a deep breath, a little walk, and maybe going up into your head and remembering when you're a kid swinging on that swing or a quick fakatoki that you remember, you know, like in, or um, some, sometimes people do a physical thing like clasping your hands together or touching your temples or we find things that bring us back, but we have to do it every time we feel a sandpaper, right? Right. right. But what we do is, ah, it's fine. The yeah. holiday's coming up. Harden up. Yep, yep, just forget about that. Everybody's going through that. And so we sandpaper. And by the way, for the last couple of years, we had a lot oh, of sandpapers. More than a building site. And everybody's been sandpapering. <coughs> so it's very hard with lots of sandpapered people to be kind to each other. So we've been yeah. sandpapering sandpaper. Yeah. Which is why at the moment we are, we're getting, I think we're definitely coming back. I notice people smiling at each yeah, other yeah. a lot we'll more. We'll come back and quickly. Being, yeah, yeah, yeah. We but, have. you know, I've seen... Even in my own fun, oh, boy, get outside. Oh, tidy your room up. Gee, boy, why can't you be like your sister? Mm. All of those are sandpaper moments for that kid, mm -hmm. you know, that sometimes we don't even know we're doing. We don't. And why can't we do some positive yeah. things? Where's the positive things, especially yeah. for, you know, our rangatahi at the moment um, in a lot of their spaces, if they're not doing well academically – there is very little positive. And unfortunately, some of our schools have policies of if they're not doing well academically, they're not allowed to be participating in things like sports or camps or extracurricular things, do you see? And so they're getting all these sandpapers from the education and they're not getting any of the positive aloe vera from the sports and the other interactions that they might be able to do. Do you know what I mean? You know, <coughs> just a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I heard, <laughs> I heard from a very good source that they stopped streaming classes. So when I was at school, I was actually in the dummies class because my talents didn't lie in that particular area. And I think I've done okay in my life, okay? And <laughs> so you're in the, so just by being put in that class mm -hmm. of slow learners or whatever, 
in a system that didn't suit me anyway, mm-hmm. I was labelled a dummy. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big sandpaper. Mm-hmm. Just as well, I had parents who says, no, nah, bro, you, you know, what you touch goes to gold, son. You're awesome and all that sort of stuff. So that streaming of kids and giving them those negative labels, gone, and it's taken this long to get there? Yeah, I mean, some schools still do to a certain extent, and but there's, they call them different things. <clears throat> but But we can also see more things than just academics, right? So why aren't we giving our kids the option of, I don't know, writing for the school newspaper or doing some um, presentation sessions or doing some drama. We're getting rid of music and dance and drama and stuff. So the only things that we're focusing on, and not all schools, by the way, some schools are amazing and I've got some incredible, especially a lot of our colleges are really pushing against the system and creating amazing spaces for our kids. But there is a lot of that sandpaper in our system and where are our kids getting the positives? Um, because especially for our kids who shut down, especially kids who, who, who move away and go, oh, well, I am dumb, then I am stupid. And then they go home and, and, and I had this experience myself with my son because he wasn't doing well academically and I constantly got emails from the school. He hasn't done this. He's been caught absent again. He hasn't got the road socks. He hasn't done this. He's been <laughs> done this. And, and so, of course, as soon as he walks through the door, if I hadn't understood this stuff, my first reaction would have been, for goodness sake, why can't you? Yeah. Right? What's wrong with you? Because <clears throat> I've got fucking mark, right? Because yeah. everyone's making me feel like a bad mum because I can't get him to turn up on time, and so then I'll push it onto him. I understood that, and as much as possible, I certainly wasn't perfect, I would try when he walked through the door to say, hey, did you have a good day, and... What did you do? But you know what? He couldn't talk about anything. There was nothing positive. Yeah. Nobody had had fun with him. Nobody had done this unless he'd had a basketball game, which I'd pushed for him to be allowed to maintain. We didn't have anything to talk about. Now he's at Institute of Sport. He comes home. He tells me about his day. He tells me buzzing. what he's doing. He's buzzing. He's got positive. You know, like I just. Yeah. We've got, yeah, those sandpapers build up, man. Yeah, yeah. Build up. You know, I think my biggest challenge, um, Catherine, you'll appreciate this, is the fact that um, I'm such an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we will leave it. Thank you. I love these conversations. People are loving these conversations. Mm, I'm learning. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll be back uh, again. Kia ora koe.